0: It's no secret here on this podcast that my husband and I have walked through a separation, a near divorce, papers and everything, and our testimony and reconciliation. But I'm not the only one, and I know that. So, today and the next episode, in a special two part series, I brought on my friend, my fellow podcaster, Beatrice Vargas, to share her testimony and how she used grace and how she reached a point of surrender in her separation with her husband. If you're struggling to forgive your husband and recover from pain of separation or just living undivorced in the same house in your marriage, Beatrice is going to walk us through five steps to get to the place of surrender where everything changes. Beatrice is the host of the Grace Fueled Marriage Podcast. She's a wife, a mom of two, and she helps women transform their marriages even if their husbands aren't showing up. And you might be sitting there thinking, what do you mean even if they don't show up? Doesn't it take two? Isn't it 50-50? I encourage you to keep listening, so go grab your coffee and get ready, because here we go. This isn't a game of ding-dong ditch, and don't worry, I'm not a solar panel salesman. I'm just here to see you, friend. Whether you have spit-up stains and cluttered counters, or you're still in your heels from work and just getting dinner started, Take a minute and come sit with me. Welcome to The Jar Podcast with your host, Lydia, certified teacher, homeschool boy mom, oh Lord help me, and marriage ministry leader, bringing you tough lessons from my own journey to soul health and wholeness. Together each week, we'll discuss our struggles, pain, and shame. We'll combat labels and lies with biblical truth, and we'll work through our mess and come out stronger, more confident, and rooted in our identity in Christ. So, move your pile of laundry over. better yet, let me help you fold it while we talk. Thanks for letting me in now, let's get real All right, welcome back guys to the Jar podcast. I have a super special guest here with me today who I had the pleasure of meeting in person finally it's you know it's one thing to get to know someone in two d but then we went to an event together and got to actually see each other that were real in real life. Um, She has a very similar heart and message for you today uh, about marriage and how to navigate some of the hard times. Her name is Beatrice Vargas and friend, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yay. Thank you for having me. It was so fun to meet you in person because you're right. Like when I saw you, I'm like, hi! Even though we had only ever met online. I know online. you. <laughs> yeah, like you're a real life. I felt like I was meeting a celebrity. <laughs> you know, when you hear when you listen to somebody's podcast or like you kind of know them from online and which is so crazy in today's age, right? But when you meet them in person, it's it's so cool. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, tell tell my listeners a
0: little bit about um who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. So my name is Beatrice Vargas. I'm the host of the Grace Fields Wife podcast, where I help women transform their marriages, even if their husbands aren't showing up. A lot of times I'll get a question about like, what do you mean even if their husbands aren't showing up? I think that's the part of it that intrigues people. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more today. But essentially, it means when you know you have a husband who's a great man, you love him you know, it's not like he's abusive or anything, but sometimes or a lot of times he doesn't want to participate. And whether that be in life, marriage, whatever, maybe he doesn't want to go to church with you, or he doesn't want to participate in doing the things sometimes that it takes to make your marriage stronger. He's, you know, he's really kind of checked out in some of those cases. Those are a lot of the the women that I hope. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, it's sort of a, I was going to say fortunately, but unfortunately at the same time, <laughs> we've walked through these things that have now allowed us to, you know, spread these messages and give some hope to the person that's still in that point. Cause we know what it's like to be there. I'm sure that we can remember those moments. And so today I really just want you guys listening to hear the hope woven through even mm-hmm. the hard times and to know that it's offered and is available to you too. So Beatrice, let's kind of start at the beginning of how you met your husband, how you guys kind of, um, started and walking into marriage, how that went for you. Um, if it was easy in the beginning, if it was hard from the beginning Mm -hmm. and sort of expectations around coming into
1: marriage together. Sure. I think it's important to note, uh, be my, my story is, is it different than other people's? Probably not. Right. I think it's important to know that my husband and I were not serving the Lord. Like we were not Christian and was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised Catholic. But it's different, right? In Catholicism, like we went to church every Sunday. And so I knew Jesus. I, you know, I, I had in my mind and heart, like accepted him. Like, yes, Jesus died for my sins as much as an eight-year-old child can. So there was that foundation. So I'm thankful to my parents for that. But I did not have a relationship the way I do now with Jesus. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't sitting and like getting in my word. It was nothing like that. My husband, same thing. He grew up Catholic and he had no relationship with God prior to us getting married. And I had a feeling that later on in life, it would have feeling air quotes feeling for the benefit of the listeners. I'm doing air quotes because we all know it's not really a feeling. It was a Holy spirit prompting. I didn't know it at the time, but it was a Holy spirit prompting. And as At the time when I met him, young, single, fresh out of college, in my early 20s, I would always ask anybody I was dating, so like, where are you on this religion thing, right? Now, I wasn't into religion. I wasn't following Jesus. So they didn't have to be like, I'm a Christian. For me, it was like, you know, what's your basis level? And I remember asking him and he was like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. It's okay. I grew up Catholic, you know, it's fine. My mom's Catholic. It's cool. And that was it. And I was like, okay, fine. That's enough for me. There was certainly other people that I had dated that were of other faiths and, and other things and, you know, or who were like, yeah, that's a load of crap. And so I was like, oh, red flag. You're not for me. So that was very early on. I did kind of get um, those, you know, thankful to the Holy Spirit who kind of gave me those promptings in the beginning. But essentially when I met my husband, I, like we met in a club doing tequila shots, like we were out partying like that was just the kind of like you know he was the best friend um my best friend's brother he was a friend of his so she would say hey let's go hang out with my brother and they're just gonna buy us drinks and we were like yeah girl okay let's do it and we'd go out and go party and and that's the the circumstances the scenario in which we met one of the things that i found interesting is when we met he had a girlfriend and one thing that I noticed is he was always respectful. So he never hit on anybody. He never crossed any lines. Like he was out with his friends having a good time, but he was always very respectful. So I took note of that. So I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I haven't seen other guys do that. You know, it's not like he put himself out there hanging out with his girls, these girls and made himself available. He He always treated other women respectfully. So fast forward years later, they break up and we're still friends. And at at that time I was dating somebody and he started to ask me out and I was like, yeah, no. And so he asked me out for about six months while I was still dating this other guy that just wasn't ever really going to work out. And finally, one day my husband said, well, just letting you know, I expire in 30 days. And I was like, excuse me, you know, fine. After that, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm with this guy and it's really not, I'm just kind of kidding myself. So I broke up with him, started dating my husband, like like the next day. I mean, because we were already friends, right? So it was already a kind of a natural thing. I was like, okay, fine, we can go out for coffee. And now all of a sudden he starts playing hard to get. And he's like, Well, I don't drink coffee. I was <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So we had a really fast relationship in that, you know, in terms of that, in terms of like getting closer and getting to know each other. We had already known each other's friends and all that. So it was really quick and and natural in that regard. But at the same time, I had all this other stuff and baggage going on. Remember, I wasn't serving the Lord. I was like having this wild, crazy single life. The guy that I was dating like broke my heart multiple times, has really hung up on him emotionally. All these things that really are not basically this baggage, right? That you really should not be bringing that into a marriage, but life happens and you do. So here we are, my husband we were dating for two years at that point and uh after two years or three years now yeah it was after three years he proposes because it was like the next progression of things were we ready to get married at that time probably not even then even before that I remember we went on a vacation together to this beautiful resort in Puerto Rico and I told him before we left I said just so you know you better not propose to me over there because I am not gonna say yes like, what <laughs> So like, how arrogant of me, because in my heart, I felt like I'm not ready to -hmm. marry him. So, of course, we get to this resort and it's absolutely stunning. And, you know, he doesn't propose because I told him not to. And uh, I'm like, man, I should have let him propose here because it's really gorgeous. So we get there and I'm like, well, we're getting married here. Okay. So months later when he proposes, like I had already knew, like, this is where we, so we ended up getting married in that gorgeous resort in in Puerto Rico, like on the cliff side. It was just really stunningly beautiful. Okay, great. But I think the thing was that it was, there was all these things that was never really ready, Mm -hmm. but it was like, this was the next step, right? we've been together for 3 years like how where are you going to take this relationship forgetting the fact that we are always fighting we we're not communicating we forget premarital counseling and things like that that is available to us through the church like we weren't going to church like these were just all things that were not part of our relationship and we then <laughs> we decide we get uh, engaged in April we buy a house the next like few months we closed on our house in August. Yeah. So April, a few months later. So in August, we close on our house, not just like a like cute little starter home. No, a multi-family house in New York city. Like this is- house. <laughs> that's not cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap. My family's in real estate. So that's how we were, you know, like whatever borrowed money from dad for down pay all this other stuff, right? But all of a sudden we all these changes within a matter of a few months where it's like, okay, we're engaged. Now we bought this house. Now we're dealing with the financial stresses of this house because that immediately we were house poor. Um you know and it's just like all the things a few months later, that was August, a few months later in January, surprise, we're pregnant. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Like my mom's like, Oh my gosh, do you want to postpone the wedding? And I'm like, I am not postponing my fabulous wedding. Right. We already had plans a long engagement because we knew it was going to be a like an expensive wedding. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not postponing my, my wedding for a baby. Again, <laughs> Arrogant, right? Yeah. I, I was young. It was at that time. I wasn't that young. I was like 27, but still young, right? When I think yeah. about it now, very young-minded. Those were all the things going through through my mind. So here we are now. We get engaged, buy a house, get pregnant, like within a year. All these things that happened. And the crazy thing is, the day that we found out we were pregnant, we were having this massive fight. Massive. I take off my engagement ring. I put it on the dresser and I was like, I am done. Like I was ready to drop our engagement. And then I kind of felt like a little funny. Like I kind of felt like maybe I might be pregnant. So I took a walk in the rain to the pharmacy, which is a mile away (laughs) to buy a pregnancy test. I came back and I was like, okay, I guess we're getting married and having a baby. (laughs) So I (laughs) I, first of
0: all, that's just like poetic right there. It's like movie stuff.
1: Yeah. You can just yeah. picture
0: her walking in the rain and overwhelmed. Like- mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a good place to butt in here because I feel like there's some key things that you mentioned mm-hmm. that are huge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: huge. And I wrote down undealt with and change. What I can relate to there, and, and I'll ask you to maybe how that played into the next part of your marriage. But yeah. I think a lot of us, even if we were prepared, even if like in my case, we did go to pre-marriage counseling, even if we thought we knew Mm
1: -hmm.
0: for us, change was something that helped us not deal. And I don't think it was a conscious decision. We had so much, uh, you know, surrounding us with our circumstances, what some family was going through at the time of our engagement and what we felt marriage was going to be was an escape was a change that would help quiet all the stress around us, not realizing it was baggage we were bringing in and we were expecting change to be the catalyst to making all of those problems go away when really all we were doing was just not dealing with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that tends to leak out later on. And so tell me more about how those signs and red flags that weren't dealt
1: with then came up later. Well, I think as I was as I was speaking, I realized that a lot of it was unspoken expectations, mm-hmm. which I realize in my marriage now has made such a big difference because now we we kind of we speak our you know we we communicate our expectations if we will, if you will, right? So and, and when we don't is when we have problems. Mm -hmm. that's when we have little arguments, but now I'm so much more equipped with how to handle them. So now I can say, well, honey, I didn't realize that that was your expectation. If you let me know that was your expectation, you give me the opportunity to meet it, right? And so we also often assume, you know, he'll say this all the time. Well, you should know. And and I remember back in those times, so many times I'd be like, well, you should just know. You should just like, how should he just know? You should just know if I'm angry, you're supposed to come to me and hug me and comfort me. (laughs) How does he just know?
0: Right.
1: You know, we're like, we expect our spouses to follow this script to a movie, this rom-com that's going on in our head. But we don't give them a script. We don't tell them they're they're being part of this movie. They didn't really sign up for that. But at the same time, they're doing the same thing to us, right? They expect us to do certain things based on this is what happened in their life. This is who took out the garbage and cooked dinners and did the laundry in their house as a kid. So they're just naturally expecting that you're going to do it when you get married. These are things. They are some of the things that you talked about. You you do address that in premarital counseling, but even with that, right? And because we had never went to premarital counseling, this was never a thing. We were just forget it. By the time we moved in together, this is when we started learning all these things. And for for many couples, you know, you get married, you move in together, and this is when you start to learn all of that. So that's really where a lot of it started to happen. But then I think the other thing is, we did not, not that we weren't mature enough, (laughs) like we were old enough, right? And we got married when I was 27. So we were old enough, certainly, but not mature enough, if you will, to recognize or have the self-awareness really to recognize these things, right? I was not mature enough to know, to realize that you're behaving this way because of this, or I might be behaving this way because of that. It's not because you don't love me. For instance, we would argue, and his thing when we would argue would be to shut down, which is common of men, right? To shut down, go to his corner. You know, For him, he's thinking, well, I don't wanna say anything that's gonna hurt my wife. I don't wanna say anything that I can't take back later. And for me, I was equating that, well, when I was little, and my mother stopped speaking to me, it usually meant that she was going to beat me later, which is a very deep thing. And it's not something that consciously I knew. It's just something that all of a sudden I was like, now he's withholding love for me, from me. And now I need to cling to him tighter. So these are the dynamics that happen when you're A, not communicating your expectations, or B, you just don't have the self-awareness to to understand that this is what's actually going on in the, in the relationship. And I think that was the root of so many of our problems.
0: Yeah, definitely. When you sometimes, like you mentioned, you have a tendency to do something and you genuinely think it's, it's a good thing. Like he thought, Oh, I'm protecting her. Mm -hmm. by not speaking when I feel angry, not being aware of how that triggered you and you not even being aware of how that triggered you necessarily till later. How did all of that play out in how did you guys finally become aware? I know that you walked through something difficult, so how did you get to a rock bottom before you started building back up?
1: Uh yeah. Well, I mean from there from the moment of this is over, take my engagement ring, I'm done to, you know, a few hours later realizing surprise, we're having a baby to, you know, a year and a half later having the wedding and all the things. It was just never, it, it was never quite right. There was always something missing. Even after my daughter, I had like tons of postpartum depression because for me, it was like, as a little girl, I always dreamed about having a wedding and something that was going to be fun and something that was going to be in my mind about me. Cause as a little girl, it was never about me. I came from a very big family and what happens? Well, I had a baby, so it wasn't about me. It's about my, my baby. Cause that was the priority So through everything. Like I didn't really even have a bridal shower. I had a baby shower, but it was just all those things that contributed. So, so here I am now you have the postpartum depression, the baby, this, the, that, like all the things. So we had all these tough times and about a year and a half into our marriage, things weren't great, but they were okay. Uh, we were hung over on a Sunday morning, really hungover, And the baby is like, you know, she was about a year and a half. She's like crawling all over us like mommy, mommy, you know, and I had this realization like, this is not it. This is not how I was raised. It's Sunday morning. I should not be here hungover with my child trying to get my attention. If this doesn't feel right to me. I should be in church. Again, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Like I didn't have any of those things. It was another, I'm going to say, Holy Spirit prompting. Like, this is, is this you? Like, is this really what you want? Like, it's just, I had one of those moments. Like, this is not what I want for the rest of my life. And how long am I going to go with this being the case? Because at the time I was maybe at this point, 28, 29. So I'm like, uh, how long, you know, how long is this going to, is this stopped being cool a long time ago? It's not cool anymore. So I turned to my husband that day and I was like, "Babe, I uh I got to start going to church." And he was like, "What?" Like out of the blue. No conversation, no, I think this is something that we could be good for our family. Let's discuss this. All the things that you would normally do in a marriage when you decide to make a decision, that it was unilateral. It was just, "I'm going to find a church." He was like, uh good luck with that. <laughs> you know, Like knock yourself out. And, you know, very well, like you go looking for God, you're going to find him. And I did. And I'm so thankful that I did. So, you know, I went around the neighborhood. I was looking for churches and we, I started to visit a couple churches. I started to bring him with us. And he was like, yeah, okay. You know, very apathetic, which was the same you know, kind of when I met him, he was apathetic, so when we started looking for churches, he was apathetic. I found one. he recognized some of the people from like growing up, and it just happened to work out. So here I go. we find this church a couple of months later. I give my heart to Jesus a couple of months after that. Now I'm baptized. Well, now you surrender your life to Jesus, you really start to change. so the wife that he had met like it started to change, and not because anybody had told me, but because my heart started to change, which as we know, like, that's what happens when you start to develop a relationship with Christ, which I never really had before. So all of a sudden he would get into the car and I'd be blasting worship music or he'd be so, and he'd make comments like, what are you fist pumping to Jesus now?
0: Hmm.
1: And the fights just became worse and worse. And you know, when I think about it, it's like, I, I could see, okay, now is this, the enemy coming between us in our marriage, right? Is this all the all the bad choices that we had made in the beginning, now now here's where the conflict starts, right? So the reason why God gives us these, these guidelines, essentially, for how to live our lives is because he wants us to avoid all these conflicts that will happen later. So now all these conflicts start coming in to play. You know, my husband's getting older, so now he's reaching midlife or... Midlife, 40, not midlife. I'm 40 now, right? I'm 40. <laughs> like it's now. not midlife. <laughs> no, it's not midlife, but you know, in my mind is life. right? And um, you know, he has this moment where he's like, you know what, I'm not happy here. Uh, we need, I want a house. So in in our in, you know, for us growing up, you made it, air quotes, if you were able to buy a house in the suburbs with a backyard. You know, growing up in New York City because he grew up in Manhattan as well. So growing up in New York City, we lived in apartments. So you you were not successful un, unless you had a house with a backyard. Forget the fact that we had this like townhouse; it that wasn't it for him. You know, we we need to. So then I said, okay, again, completely unilateral, without discussing with it with it discussing it with him, really without anything. I kind of bulldozed him and I said, oh, well, here's the math the average single family house in the neighborhood that you want to look for is $500,000. 20% of that for a down payment is a hundred thousand dollars. Where do you, you know, where do you think we're going to save that? Mm-hmm. Cut cable? Like, what do you, yeah. And I was very like sassy about it. Very kind of mean about it. Just the way I spoke to him and treated him at the time and really all the, the ways and, and things, it was just kind of like, I know better. I would say things like, which I find now, even for, you know, any of my listeners and clients that it comes up a lot because I had done, I had grown up in this um, culture and society of you take care of yourself. So I'm a product of divorce. My parents are divorced. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen a lot, you know, and it was like, you take care of yourself. You be a woman who doesn't need a man. Hmm. And it was very much ingrained in me. So it was very much ingrained to be successful, go to college, get the job, you know, so I did all the things. Mm -hmm. got the corporate job, made all the money. But then now I was filled with such, I would tell him like, I don't need you. I don't need you. I make more money than you. So many things that I would tell him that was emasculating, that Mm -hmm. was hurtful, that, you know, just so many things. And he wasn't you know, he wasn't perfect or any piece of cake by any means, right. but I can only talk about what I did in the relationship that was wrong. And I think now um, it makes such a huge difference in the fact that I am able to pinpoint all the places that I was wrong mm-hmm. versus sitting here, remembering all the things that he did that was wrong. Cause it just reminds me of what, what I was capable of and what I can change, and that's what I like to focus on. Right? Well, and, and hindsight is
0: definitely twenty twenty. Yes, and it it sounds like you do the same as I do. Think back to those moments, and sometimes it's hard not to go back to regret and shame and guilt yeah. over that. But it's almost like watching a movie, and you can see how she's playing a part in cutting him down, and all this stuff happening leading up to a moment uh, uh, where everything falls apart. Right, and you only wish you could go back and tell her, stop doing that, or this is how you're affecting the dynamic. Is there anything that you wish you could have done differently
1: during that specific time? Wow. During that specific time, I think exactly what you said, like, I wish there were the resources that exist now, Mm -hmm. you know, the resources like your podcast or mine, which didn't exist back then. And they didn't exist because God was bringing us through our own stories Mm -hmm. so that he could have women who loved him and trusted him and were obedient to him to go tell those stories. But I didn't have that. I didn't have those mentors. I didn't have that wisdom. I didn't have, you know, I had people in my life who, who listened to God, who were obedient to him, who heard from him. Thank God, you know, for my mother and friends and pastors, things like that around me, but they didn't know. A lot of them were experiencing that in their own marriages because no one had ever taught them. They didn't have the self-awareness, like I was saying before, they didn't have their own self-awareness. And so I, I wish that, you know, I wish I had a friend who could have said, you know what, why don't you check out this podcast? Why don't you check out this, you know, teaching or this person or whatever, and it's free. Just, just check it out. Just hear her out. You know, I, because I would have told myself right? Like, good. like I, I think in listening to it, I would have been able to hear myself and that other woman's words and say, Oh, snap, that's what I do. Right. Like, you mean, wait, you mean, when I say that that's contributing, you mean, it's not all about him, you know, you, oh, wait a minute, are you? Oh, are you serious? You know, to have like, really a mentor who is not just going to be a yes person, Because who did I have around me? My mother, best friend, my sister. And they loved my husband, but not really. Not really in the sense of not as much as they love me. Right. So they were always going to take my side. Mm -hmm. And they weren't going to be so quick to point me out. And the way I speak to him and cut him down. And quite frankly, and this is where I think is the big thing. Women will be very quick to tell other people about all the things their husband does wrong. But they will not be so quick to tell them about the things that they said that might've been wrong. They won't be so quick to say, I said this and this is what triggered the argument. And partially because A, they don't have the self-awareness to know that it's wrong and B, because they're ashamed of it because they, because they know that it's wrong or C, they just think that's the way everybody talks to their husband.
0: Yikes. It's kind of tough to hear some of that, right? Just to realize that we play a huge part in the dynamic, in the communication, in the conflict, in the resolution in our marriage. And whether or not you are the culprit, even if you would identify as the victim in your marriage, I encourage you to take what you can from this episode and tune in next week to find out even more of how to surrender to the Lord and walk in obedience in your marriage. Thanks for tuning in today. Loads of love, Lydia. 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. I'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place.